want the Republicans to wake up is... The Republican Party right now is not led by conservatives. There's a population out there that has to be told the truth. Uh, we have to. Do it live! Now, from the left coast, it's another podcast edition of the Peter B. Collins Show. Peter B. is curious, opinionated, and relentless in pursuit of the truth like a honeybee drawn to pollen. He's an independent progressive, ready to sting Republicans and Democrats alike when they deserve it. After years in commercial radio, Peter B. welcomes you to this audio adventure in news and politics with no corporate filter. Listeners support this program, and you can help at PeterBCollins.com. Here's your humble host, Peter B. Thanks for downloading the very latest in-depth interview podcast from here at PeterBCollins.com. Joe Hickman is a military veteran who returns to our program today. His first visit, he exposed what happened at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, when he was on guard duty one night in 2006. Three prisoners were hustled out of the main part of the prison, and they came back dead the next morning, described as suicides. Well, Joe Hickman has done more exposure of wrongdoing in the U.S. military. And his new book is called The Burn Pits, The Poisoning of America's Soldiers. And he exposes that in Iraq and Afghanistan, outsourced corporate operators like Kellogg, Brown, and Root operated incineration pits. These were not, you know, fancy incinerators, just big holes in the ground where tons of garbage and refuse and other items were brought. And the toxic smoke that was produced from these burn pits has caused serious health problems for tens of thousands of veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan. And Joe Hickman suggests that Bo Biden, the vice president's son, died from cancers that he picked up from exposure to burn pits. It's quite a story, and I'm happy to bring it to you. I hope you'll share it with people. This information needs to be widely available. And just before we get started, I want to thank Kevin Beckley, Keith Hull, the guy we know as Multitask Man, and our own Nixon, Pauline Nixon. They're all monthly subscribers to the Peter B. Collins podcast. I need your help to continue this work, so come on over to PeterBCollins.com. Under the menu tab, you find Become a Subscriber, and you can choose $5, $10, $20 a month. Our best deal is the $50 annual subscription. And for new annual subscribers who have a mailing address in the continental U.S., I've got a bonus gift. It's a copy of Joe Hickman's new book called The Burn Pits. Or if you choose, I have another title called The Field Guide to the F Word. In either case, a new annual subscription of 50 bucks gets you my bonus gift, and I'd love to send a book to you. Joe Hickman served his nation in the military, and he is serving us again. He's got a powerful new book out. In a powerful new expose, Joseph Hickman has published The Burn Pits.
We previously visited with Joe Hickman after he published a very important book about what he observed while he was serving at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And uh, that story, Murder at Camp Delta, is one that continues to concern us. And I'll ask Joe for an update on it at the end of our conversation. I want to focus on his powerful new book. And Joe Hickman, I I thank you for your service uh, in the military. And I also thank you for what you've done since you left in publishing the book about Guantanamo and this brand new one about the burn pits. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a pleasure to talk with you, and I think it's very important to convey this information because this is the latest self-inflicted wound on the U.S. military. We saw Agent Orange in the Vietnam era and the incredible cost that that imposed on members of the uh, the armed services. And then you served in uh, the first Gulf War, Joe, and uh, you report that you still have some issues in your respiratory system. And we know that uh, there were people who were exposed to depleted uranium rounds in the first Gulf War and other toxins as well. But what you have exposed here is really important. What you show is that once we invaded Iraq, that KBR, Kellogg, Brown, and Root, the former division of Halliburton, managed many of these burn operations without using incinerators, without any safeguards for those who were downwind from the burn pits. And you have brought to light something that I had no idea uh, had been going on, and the impact is very broad on those who served in Iraq. Yes, they... um the the burn the issue of the burn pit has has really uh, it's it's just not been reported in the major media outlets and it, it's a big story it's uh, there's there's tens of thousands of American soldiers that are sick from these burn pits and when I say burn pits I'm not talking about your backyard burn pit I'm talking about uh, burn pits that were used to dispose of trash in in Iraq and Afghanistan that were some as large as 10 acres, and burning as much as 50 tons of trash a day. And they were uh, burned continuous, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so these were ongoing operations, and this is like um, pissing in your own living room, Joe, if you'll forgive the expression. But uh, this was a consequence that was easily observed, right? I mean, you you set up a burn pit near a base or near some sort of a a military installation, and you can see the smoke go up and you can see where it goes as the wind blows. So this is not something that was shrouded in secrecy or conducted in locations that were safely away from our service members. That's true. They were the service members. Some of them lived within 300 yards from the burn pits, and some of them with some within 300 yards and as close as up to a quarter of a mile. So they were hundreds of thousands of soldiers dealing with this. The uh, the burn pits were right there. They needed something in place because war accumulates a, tons and tons of trash. People don't realize that it's a major issue in wars, is trash. Instead of putting high-temperature incinerators in place, they went the cheaper way with, with these burn pits. And, and all these soldiers, thousands of soldiers, were exposed to this air, 
or the smoke coming from them. Mm -hmm. Now, Joe, in your book, you suggest that the vice president's son, Bo Biden, who died last summer, may have uh, caused, you know, may have picked up his cancers from exposure while he was on duty in Iraq. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But you open your book with the story of Army Specialist Brian Thornhill. Take us to Camp Taji, outside of Baghdad, it's about 20 miles north, uh, back in November of 2003. Yes. Well, Brian Thornhill was was a young guy that uh, joined the military, went to serve his country after 9-11, and uh, he was stationed at Camp Taji. Iraq is where he went, and he had uh, he was an infantryman. His duty was to uh, was to man the uh, towers that that surrounded the perimeter of the base, and he would look for for uh, any suspicious movement outside of the base. And that's the so, kind of that's the kind of duty that you drew at Guantanamo. You worked in a guard tower. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's a pretty typical duty. But what Brian had to face every day was he could he couldn't leave his guard tower, but a thick cloud of smoke from these burn pits would consume him. It would uh, consume the tower, he, and ash chunks of ash would fall all over him, and he had to deal with this day out, day in and day out for for an entire year. And the smoke, like I said, from the burn pit in Taji, they were burning anything and everything. They were burning. Anything from uh, plastics and styrofoams, uh, batteries, medical waste, uh, even human body parts. Anything mm. you could think of, they were burning in these pits. And, and he was breathing this the entire time. And it, it, was, it was all around the base, this, this smoke. Uh, it, the, the burn pits was massive. Now, if if he was exposed to it on a daily basis while he was on duty, uh, weren't his superiors also exposed to it? And they they had to be aware of this, right? I, I mean, it the the smoke and the stench was so present and overpowering in many cases that this is not something that you can just say, ah, you know, put put your handkerchief over your mouth; it's all going to be fine. Yeah, they, they, the the um, the commanders were absolutely aware of the burn pits they were they dealt with them on a daily basis as well but you got to understand commanders are specialists are not, are not officers the commanders most of their duties are are indoors and comfortable in air conditioned offices in Iraq um, they were i i believe they told they told Brian that you know the burn pits were a nuisance but they weren't hazardous it wasn't anything going to harm him and i i'll even give the commanders on the ground Maybe they, they actually believed that. Maybe the, the higher command, U.S. CENTCOM, didn't tell them how hazardous it was. But, mm-hmm. but they, uh, they were absolutely uh, assured, Brian, that uh, these burn pit, the burn pit wasn't hazardous to them. And did any of them respond by saying, this is war, son, war is hell, uh, suck it up? Uh, that's basically what they, they, all the soldiers over there were told uh, when I when I interviewed them, that uh, their commanders were not were not compassionate at all about the issue. Mm-hmm. So Brian Thornhill was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder, uh, and tell us how how 
easy or difficult was it for him to get medical attention through the military or the Veterans Administration? Well, he, he went to the he went to the VA to seek for medical assistance and, and benefits, uh, disability benefits. And as soon as as soon as he went to the VA, they were uh, they told him it could take up to uh, you know a year for them to even respond with a determination whether he was going to get benefits. Mm -hmm. And I think it took them a year and a half to finally send him that they weren't going to give him benefits uh, for his illness because because in their determination it wasn't service-connected, meaning that uh, his illnesses were not not caused from his military service. Now, Joe, this is a response that we've seen in many cases, even where the military would tell a soldier that a gunshot wound or other complication from combat was actually a pre-existing condition that uh, he had brought to the war with him and therefore would not be covered uh, under the military medical system and later the Veterans Administration. And it's interesting because in domestic law, uh, Obamacare has removed the uh, issues related to pre-existing conditions. Yet it seems that the military still uses that as a means of denying coverage to people who clearly have uh, service-related, serious and chronic, even uh, potentially fatal medical conditions. That's really a good point, and it's really uh, exactly what they're doing. They're not, uh, they're delaying, and, and it's even harder for these veterans that, that are suffering from burn pit exposure because it's, it's a delayed casualty. It's a casualty that doesn't hit you right away. You know, the bronchial problems and, and cancers take time to, uh, to form, and uh, so they have even a much harder burden of proof than a gunshot wound or Uh, you know, shrapnel or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And Joe, you follow the chronology here. It was in January of 2008 that the VA denied him coverage. Then in September uh, of that same year, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. And he lived until January of 2014, uh, just about two years ago, and uh, died at home due to the brain cancer. So this this is a very tragic way that you open your book, but it certainly does get your attention, uh, the reader's attention. And and I have to tell you that your book opened my eyes to this problem, and then it really brought me to tears at points to imagine that people who, many of whom volunteered for military service, uh, volunteered out of love for their country and, uh, in my view, a misplaced sense that they had to respond to the events of September 11th, 2001 by putting on a uniform. But I accept the sincerity of people who made that decision and made that commitment. And I believe that as a nation, we owe these people uh, cradle-to-grave medical care. And for our government to be in official denial... Uh, about the impact of these problems. I know it's changed a little bit, and we'll update that as we uh, continue our conversation. But uh, this is a fundamental issue where the leaders of our military are not properly uh, protecting our service members 
from conditions that they can control. It's it's a separate issue if, you know, you're exposed to the use of chemical weapons or uh, other, you know, kinds of uh, uh, problems that are not the problems uh, caused by our own military leadership. But when you see that this was a preventable and a fixable problem, these burn pits, it, it's just outrageous that the problem continued for so long. It, it is outrageous. And, and one of the most disturbing things about this story is, is in early, I believe it was 2005, uh, we, we know this, uh, early 2005 environmental scientists uh, actually complained, uh, from the Army, uh, Air Force actually, complained to U.S. CENTCOM, uh, U.S. Central Command, which is the command in charge of Iraq and Afghanistan and all their operations. He complained that, that these burn pits, uh, specifically the one on Camp Balad, Lot Air Base was the worst environmental disaster he's ever witnessed, and it was going to these burn pits were going to cause long-term health effects to uh, to these veterans, and the, that I know that uh, that memo was uh, General Petraeus had that memo, mm-hmm. and it was he was in charge of U.S. Centcom, and it went completely ignored. Uh, Senator Russ Feingold. Uh, who has always been a, a fierce advocate for veterans uh, at the time, Senator? He uh, he wrote to, to General Petraeus asking, uh, you know, I'm getting complaints from people in my state. They're sick from these burn pits. What's going on? Petraeus wrote back that, uh, you know, basically I'm I'm just summing it up. Mm-hmm. You know, that the uh, don't worry about the burn pits. They're they're not a hazard, and. Uh, so our our highest commander in, in that area of operation was was lying to our senators, uh, and that that document would have was was a key document, uh, and it's, it's interesting to note that that was uh, that was leaked by uh, Chelsea Manning. She mm-hmm. uh, put that on the WikiLeaks. Right now, uh, Joe Hickman, you also link Balad, the facility you were just talking about to the likely exposures to Bo Biden that led to his early death. Now, I want to be clear that you don't have uh, direct evidence of, of cause and effect. But when you trace the service record of Bo Biden and where he served in Iraq and the kinds of cancers and uh, other ailments that he developed uh, that led to his death, uh, you've got a fairly strong circumstantial case, I would say. Yes, and it is circumstantial, uh, but there is, you know, he went to he went to Balad, and I believe Liberty. Um, he served at two bases in Iraq. Both of them had had these burn pits on on their bases, and uh, prior to leaving, he was he was pretty athletic guy. He, he passed the physical army physical fitness test with no problem. He had an extensive uh, physical prior to deploying to Iraq that was made up of blood work and everything else. He was in perfect health prior to leaving. And uh, he went over there for nine months, and uh, he came home, and within just a very short time, he developed, he had a stroke and developed brain cancer and eventually died. And the, the one thing that I can show is, his 
symptoms are not uncommon. There's other soldiers that served on the same base as he did, and sometimes even at the same time, that developed the exact same type of can- brain cancer he had, had the exact same symptoms prior to uh, developing the brain cancer that Bo Biden had. And uh, I list those soldiers in the book, and there's there's several more. I mean, mm-hmm. I just didn't have the room to list them all. And also, there's there's a hint of maybe. Uh, and, and Joe, let me let me stop you there for a second because I think it's important to put names and faces on these cases uh, because otherwise they're just numbers and and just anecdotes. And let me list four of the people who you refer to in the book. Specialist Emily Rainwater from Arizona served at the same time as Bo Biden at Balad in 2009. After coming home from Iraq, diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia, fighting for her life on a waiting list for a stem cell transplant. Specialist David Green from Oklahoma, stationed at Balad, 2006. Shortly after coming home, Green started getting serious headaches, experienced numbness in the limbs. Later, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. He's still fighting for his life. Air Force Major Kevin Williams from Florida, in perfect health before he deployed, stationed at Balad, 2007. After coming home from Iraq, he developed brain cancer and died two years later. And Lieutenant Colonel Michelle Pierce from Virginia, stationed at Camp Victory, 2006. Returning from deployment, she developed two rare forms of cancer and has undergone uh, undergone multiple surgeries and chemotherapy. Now, uh, let me press you just a little bit here, Joe, because you and I are not, uh, you know, uh, scientists, doctors, or epidemiologists. And certainly in the war zone in Iraq, there were many toxins, many uh, possible sources. But in your research, you seem quite convinced that the burn pits were a major source of the cluster of illnesses, including these cancers, that have developed among veterans of the Iraq War. Yes, um, and there's, I've, I've come to that conclusion for, for several reasons. The, uh, there, there, I mean, there, there is other things that could cause this. Depleted uranium mm-hmm. is, is a big issue. Uh, well, there, one of the reasons I, I lean more towards it being the burn pits is the, the studies that has been done by by doctors in Iraq, and we have to remember that this doesn't only affect the veterans here. Uh, the I, Iraqi population around the where our bases were, uh, they're they're experiencing a lot of problems too. The cancer rates in Iraq since we left or since 2001 are up 100 um, percent. There's birth defects. In Iraq, that are so hideous that they don't have medi- they don't have medical names for them yet, uh, and all this happened since we've been there. Well, there's been some doctors on the ground studying what's why this cancer rate is so high, and and they looked into the depleted uranium theory, and they found in all their studies of the Iraqi population that depe- depleted uranium did not play an issue on the Iraqi civilians' uh, illnesses. And they they also believe that, uh, several of these people believe that it was also the burn pits. Mm-hmm. 
Well, uh, I, I certainly take your point. I am a little skeptical of the uh, research so far on depleted uranium. I, I think that it could be a driver of, of uh, some of the problems among our service members and a major contributor to the birth defects that you've cited. And uh, we know that it was used, we also know that uh, white phosphorus was used in a uh, kind of weaponized form in Fallujah, uh, uh, during the two, you know, we, we took and we took Fallujah, we lost it, and we took it again. And we're now back uh, here in 2016 uh, trying to help the Iraqis retake Fallujah for the third time. Uh, but we know that white phosphorus was used there uh, in, in pretty heavy doses. And to date, I believe the military is, is in uh, almost total denial about the impact of these chemical weapons, yes, that's what they are, that we used in Iraq. I, the DOD is in denial of everything that, that makes them look bad. It's, uh, it's been very frustrating while writing this book. Uh, they, they just, it's, it is Agent Orange all over again. You know, it's, uh, they're an absolute, how can, how can you possibly say that a burn pit is not, hazardous to you when when it's a known fact you're burning over a thousand different toxins and car carcinogens in this burn pit but you're going to turn around and say it's not bad for you it's absolutely mind-boggling it's absolutely mind-boggling that, that people actually believe it well and, and joe there is a pervasive pattern that i think uh, almost amounts to dereliction of duty on the part of our military upper leadership because uh, let me just give you an example. Here in the San Francisco Bay Area, we have a number of decommissioned bases. The Hunters Point uh, uh, Naval Facility, the Naval Air Station at Alameda. Uh, and in each case, uh, the toxic residue at these facilities makes them uh, unfit for use by civilians, but they were fit for use by military personnel for decades. And the cost of the cleanups is uh, is huge, and there are battles, you know, between local jurisdictions and the Pentagon over who should pay for it. But the long-running pattern of the U.S. military uh, toward the safety of its service members from workplace and uh, uh, other exposures is something that would lead to them being indicted if they were running civilian corporations. Would you agree? Yes, yes. Absolutely. Um, the burn pits themselves, it's also a really important thing to note that the burn pits themselves that were in Iraq and Afghanistan would have been completely illegal if they were operated in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, would never, it would have never stood for it. It, it breaks all EPA regulations. It breaks all Pentagon re regulations for anything on a military basis here. But since they, they were in Iraq... It was considered some, like the Wild West. We can do anything and everything we want. Mm -hmm. And uh, so many uh, veterans and Iraqi civilians have suffered for it. And, Joe, I want to talk about now your effort to identify the extent to which, you know, members of, uh, of the military who've served in Iraq uh, have been exposed and, and what the you know, likely dimensions of this will be. 
and you report that the conditions uh, that have been triggered include asthma, emphysema, chronic upper respiratory infections, sleep apnea, shortness of breath, chronic cough, chronic bronchitis, laryngitis, chronic sinus infections, sinus problems and congestion, sinusitis. And then, of course, uh, we get into the uh, cancer-related conditions uh, like leukemia, brain cancer, throat cancer, uh, lung cancer. And these come from the research that you've done and like you did with your Guantanamo project, uh, you turned to Seton Hall University and Professor Mark Denbo uh, to help you manage uh, this fairly uh, big, expansive uh, research project. So tell us a little bit about the size of the group of people, the universe of people who are likely to have been adversely affected by the burn pits in Iraq. Okay. Well, I took the. Uh, I, I went to Professor Dembo in the Center for Policy and Research, and they agreed to do a statistical study of the the soldiers that were complaining of, of illnesses from the burn pits, and so they took 500 soldiers. They took them uh, people that we had a lot of complete information on. Uh, they were. You know, they were completely healthy before going to Iraq or Afghanistan. And then they were, uh, you know, they, they became ill afterwards and, and where they were located in the, in the countries. And so we had good information on them. So they took those, that information and they broke it down into several different categories. One alarming category they came up with was that over 90% well over 90% of the real serious illnesses that these soldiers were having came from really five different military bases in Iraq. And I, I name them in the, in the book, but they were, these five bases where the severe illnesses were coming from, the cancers and, and a rare bronchial illness that's, uh, that's not seen hardly anywhere, Mm-hmm. Uh, this was uh, this was all located on, on these five bases, and then you know we had to question well, what what did these five bases have? What was what was going on on these five bases that wasn't going on on the other bases? I mean, all burn pits are bad, but this clearly showed that some are much worse than others. Mm-hmm. So we needed to find out why. So we started researching the bases. We found out all five of those bases were former chemical weapons facilities, mm. Saddam Hussein's facilities. And uh, what happened is, is we, during the initial bombardment of Iraq, we we just blew these places, we blew the hell out of these bases. We blew them to bits, just to rubble. And then we went in and we reconstructed those bases, built them up and put our military in them, and occupying on the same ground where these were. And did and, anybody did anybody do any just fundamental environmental impact studies before the rebuild to see what toxins might be in the soil where you're about to build a new barracks or a, a latrine or a mess hall? No, uh, we found out that you know the military has a regulation for everything. I learned that for my twenty years in, but there was no regulation on on constructing or operating burn pits. So 
there was no soil sample taken uh, of any basis when it was reconstructed. There was no plume samples of, uh, of you know, the, the burn pits once they were operational. But I did get a hold of uh, a KBR employee who I, I consider a whistleblower. I mentioned in the book. This is Rick and, Lamberth? Yes. Mm-hmm. And he, he told me that when he went into Camp Taji, Taji is one of those bases. It was a former chemical weapons facility in Iraq. He said that before he was in charge of construction of that, that base, and he said before he went, uh, before they went into construction mode, they, they knew the ground was hot, meaning that it was, you know, it was contaminated from mm-hmm. the chemical weapons that was prior on that base prior uh, to the construction. And then uh, I also spoke to an environmental scientist from Virginia Tech that explained to me that uh, that the soil, if it was contaminated by mustard gas, that that, that could have been uh, become airborne in the burn pits. Mm-hmm. So it it was a it was a theory that absolutely more research needs to be done, but the initial findings really do point to that. Let me quote a little bit from your uh, uh, references to Rick Lamberth here. He's a retired Army lieutenant colonel who served as a combat engineer and worked for KBR as manager in charge of construction in Afghanistan and Iraq. And you said when you first uh, got in touch with him, he was very reluctant to talk, said he was no longer a KBR employee, but he'd received threats telling him to keep his mouth shut to reporters or anyone looking into the burn pits. And then when you told him about some of your findings, uh, in particular uh, the ground contaminated by Iraqi chemical weapons, you say he was quiet for a moment and then said, okay, I'll answer your questions. What do you want to know? Then you asked, were there any soil samples taken and tested where the burn pits were constructed? No, none were taken. Were there any air quality tests done while the burn pits were operational? No. What was burned in the pits? Everything and everything, he responded. KBR did not care what they burned at Balad, Taji, or any burn pit they operated. When KBR was constructing Camp Taji, they knew the ground was hot. They knew the ground was probably contaminated. When KBR had to, do, had to consider the time constraints to get it built and the cost of doing the test, they decided just not to do them. So this shows that profit-taking that the interests of time and money was yeah. were, the, were the factors that drove them to ignore the obvious toxic uh, situation that they had there. And so this, this becomes, you know, not only negligence, but this crosses the line into intentionally uh, disregarding the health and welfare of our troops. Yes, it does. And, and you know, I didn't put in uh, the book how heated that, that discussion was with, with Rick. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was pretty heated. We uh, we went back and forth, and finally, I convinced him people are dying, and you could make a difference, and you have to talk to me, and I'm going to keep bugging you until you do. Mm-hmm. And and uh, he is a good man, and he he did want to talk, but he is just under enormous pressure from KBR and the Pentagon to keep his mouth shut. Yeah. 
Well, we've seen what KBR does to whistleblowers, <laughs> and yeah. they they also made most of their employees sign agreements where they uh, couldn't sue. You have to go to binding arbitration, which, of course, favors uh, the company nine times out of eight. Uh, so you live in Wisconsin, Joe, and your U.S. senator is Ron Johnson. How responsive has he been to your efforts to expose this serious problem from the burn pits and how it impacts our veterans? Ron Johnson uh, has been a complete disappointment. Uh, I took this issue directly to his office. Um, what happened is I, I, after, after I got all this information together, I wrote a report through my company and uh, extensive report on the burn pits and how hazardous they were, and I thought, I have to do something. I'm going to take this to my local senator, my Senator Ron Johnson. And uh, I made a meeting with his uh, military liaison, and I traveled to, to see him, and we sat down for an hour and a half. I, I spoke to him, filled him in on everything, gave him the report. They were very interested. They were going to... Uh, contacted me in a couple of weeks, and I was really encouraged leaving the office. But then as weeks went by, I realized that uh, I wasn't going to get a call. And then I was very disappointed to see that uh, while I was waiting for Ron Johnson to call me on this issue, oh, and also I gave him a list of 45 soldiers that was sick in his state, that were very ill, that... Um, say they're ill because they were exposed to the burn pits. Mm -hmm. So he had a list of people in his state that were ill. Um, he never did contact me, but in a way I felt like he did because he cut, uh, he cut VA funding uh, $1.4 billion. He voted to, to cut the funding $1.4 billion from uh, President Obama's uh, VA bill. Mm -hmm. that, uh, and that money would have went directly to... Uh, research and development on, on the burn pits and other things, but, but the burn pits specifically, too. Wow. So he, uh, he was a complete disappointment, and I just, you know, he, this senator, he wraps himself in the American flag and says, Veterans First USA, but he cuts funding that's going to help the soldiers and spends votes to, to, uh, to have a missile system put in place, a billion-dollar missile system that doesn't work, that the Pentagon doesn't even want. Yeah. Well, that rank hypocrisy exists in both parties, Joe, and it's it's really tragic to see them, you know, trot out the cliches about how much they support the troops and our men and women in uniform in harm's way, and they're not only responsible in at least indirectly for the harm some of the harm that we've put our troops in the way of but then they cover it up and refuse to pay the honest costs of dealing with these self-created problems yeah and i for me i mean just to go through it personally and spend so much time and personally handle this and be ignored on on such an important issue i just Senators, these senators, they get into office now, and it, it seems like they almost become tyrants, and they forget who they work for. They forget they're working for the people, the people that voted them in. So come November, I, I definitely plan on firing Ron Johnson. Well, and Russ Feingold's running, isn't he? Yes, he is. 
Well, that's pretty exciting. I'd love to see him back in the United States Senate. So, Joe, despite all of this, in 2012, Congress did pass a bill that set up an airborne airborne hazards and open burn pit registry at the Veterans Administration. And I understand that now there are 59,000 names on that list. There is there is thousands and thousands of names on the list. The problem is, by the registry, is it just doesn't do enough. And it is modeled after the registry for Agent Orange, which was a complete failure. So I just feel like we're not getting anywhere. We're, we're just creating a registry off of something we know failed. What, what good will that do? It took 27 years for veterans to receive benefits uh, from Agent Orange, and, and in that time, thousands and thousands of people died without receiving any benefits. Is, is this going to happen again? And it's a huge concern, and we really have to, to make them act in that quick. Now, what happens if an individual's name is placed on this uh, burn pit registry? Uh, do they get uh, enhanced uh, treatment or expedited access to testing and treatment? Uh, does it mean anything in terms of, uh, you know, uh, benefiting the needs of the wounded service member? Not benefiting the needs, no. Veterans Administration is going to take these list of names and their conditions, and they're going to do a study and see uh, see exactly what and how and if they can help help the veterans and, and see if it's the burn pits that is actually start, uh, creating their illnesses. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to be an extremely slow process, and it's just not enough. Well, Joe, this is a very important expose, and you have done work that uh, journalists in the establishment media could have done. They've had years to explore and investigate and expose all this. And I'm really grateful to you for showing what real investigative reporting is like. Uh, And this is something that you've taken up since your retirement from the military. I I wanted to ask you if you have any update for us on your book, Murder at Camp Delta. And that, of course, uh, relayed the uh, grisly events of uh, June in 2006 when three prisoners from Guantanamo were taken out of the main camp and you were able to deduce uh, that they took them to an off-site facility where they were likely tortured. Uh, we know that they returned dead, and you challenged the official story that they had uh, taken their own lives in a form of uh, uh, of kind of, uh, what, asymmetrical warfare. That's what the commandant of uh, Guantanamo claimed at the time. Uh, again, I'm very grateful to you for exposing this. Uh, first uh, to uh, Scott uh, 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 Horton over at Harper's Magazine, and also to my friend and colleague Jason Leopold, who now writes for Vice News. Uh, Is there anything new uh, about any effort to get to the bottom of those uh, the deaths of those three men? I don't think, uh, I I don't think, not, not in the government, but I can tell you this, since, since the book came out, I have received dozens and dozens of emails from former soldiers and sailors that were stationed at Guantanamo and worked in the camps. And uh, they're, they're really glad I came forward. They're, they're glad that, that the story was told. And uh, 
some of them were on duty that night, and we're, we're going to get together and, and discuss uh, different angles and try to figure out if we can come out with more information, and it, it looks like we will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now, uh, I'm really thankful for all the veterans that came forward uh, and supporting me on coming forward with that story, and, and they're, really, uh, they're really happy that, that that story got out. Good. Well, Joe, if you do develop new information, uh, you know that Jason and I would be happy to share it with our uh, respective audiences. And it's uh, a very important case that I'd love to see, uh, you know, fully explored. And uh, I'd like to see some accountability for those responsible for what appear to be uh, the murders of those three prisoners uh, held at Guantanamo. Joe Hickman, again, I'm very grateful to you for your work. Thanks for joining me today, and I want to recommend your new book. It's called The Burn Pits, subtitled The Poisoning of America's Soldiers. Thank you. Thank you very much. In my humble opinion, Joe Hickman is a great American. We need more Joe Hickmans. Happy trails to you until again happy trails to you keep smiling under